Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by a very well-known multifamily investor, Gino Barbaro. He is a co-founder of the Jake and Gino community and has educated many other multifamily investors. He's going to provide a ton of value today, so you're really going to want to listen into this episode. So Gino, welcome to the show, man. Marcus, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Let's get this thing rolling. Yeah, I can I can uh, sense your enthusiasm already, and I love listening to your shows with all the passion you have and you, and sharing on your shows. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro here, uh, a little bit about Gino. As I mentioned, he is the co-founder of Jake and Gino. He's the father of six children, has spent 25 years as a restaurant owner, is a certified professional coach, is currently invested in over 1,500 multifamily units, and has over $100 million of assets under management. So Gino, there's a ton on there. I know there's a ton we can talk about before we get too far into it. So the Jake and Gino community, I know a lot of people have heard about that and know about that if they've been in in the multifamily space for any period of time. But for those of my audience that haven't heard about the Jake and Gino community, could you just share with our listeners a little bit about it? Uh, Sure. For me, community has always been really important. I mean, I have six children. We homeschool our kids. So for me, that that community and that environment is really important. And when we started buying assets, our our first thing was, let's learn how to do investing, right? Then let's actually learn it and then let's actually start doing it, right? And then from doing it, we just started teaching. And after we had acquired 200 assets, Jake said, let's start a podcast. And this was five years ago. I didn't even know what a podcast was five years ago. So we started it. And the amazing thing is once you start teaching something, you get so much better at it, right? We wrote our first book, Wheel Our Profits. Uh, we wrote our second book, The Honeybee. We've had three live events. We've been able to scale up with you know getting investors on our platform. And the community was created more for me Selfish, selfish reasons. Uh, I left the restaurant back in March of 2016. That's when I quit my uh, business forever and I went into real estate full time and I was stuck. Um, I was uh, in the middle of uh, just that transition period and Jake was uh, running the properties day to day. He was doing the property management day to day. And I'm like, Jake, let me just start the media arm. Let me focus on the media arm. Let me start, you know, utilizing my life coaching and my, my business coaching skills and I'll start a community and we'll see how it goes. And, and I loved it. I mean, from the first day signing students on, I mean, our students have closed over 5,500 units to date, uh, over half a billion dollars in acquisitions. And I mean, every time I get an email from a student saying, Hey, I just closed a deal or Hey, I left my job. I mean, that is so gratifying. Those are one of the best things. And we have a podcast called Movers and Shakers uh, right behind me uh, that if you're already on YouTube that highlights all the student successes. And they all start out with the same story. I just wanted financial freedom. I wanted to get out of my job and I was looking for something else. And, and it, that's what resonates with our story. And that's how Jake and Gino was founded. No, and that's awesome. And the point you just brought up there you mentioned the word story. You've got an amazing story. I actually recently listened to one of your podcasts, and I think it was uh, you and your wife talking about the power of story. So could you share a little bit about if we rewind all the way back to when you were looking to get started in real estate, you found a great partner in Jake. How did that happen? Share that story and, and how you kind of made your way into real estate. 
Well, it's funny. I'm going to tell my wife that you listen to our podcast because she's like, is anyone listening out there? I'm like, Julia, trust me. There are people listening out there. So I'm going to say Marcus listened to the podcast. That's great. And and for me, storytelling is pretty pretty uncomfortable. I don't like really talking about myself, but I think that we all have to be able to connect with others on some type of level because once you connect with somebody, they trust you and they'll actually take action by by, by either listening to you or the information that you provide for them, they'll be able to take more action. So for me, I mean, we can all go back before the 2008 recession. Our restaurant was doing good. The economy is still doing well. I had extra capital. So I'm like, what should I do with it? I was a pretty savvy investor. Um, I said, let me go and buy uh, a mobile home park. I, I invested with somebody and the deal did not go well, not because of not because of the deal or because of me. It was a bad, bad syndicator put money in there and I lost it. But it wasn't the mobile home park's fault. It was my fault. I didn't do due diligence. Then I went out and bought another deal by myself in a strip mall. Didn't know that asset. So I'm like, you know what? over for two. I've got to, you know, put some money down. I have to start saving and I have to start putting money into my, into my education. So that's when I started getting coached on multifamily. And I knew back then I just saw how well it was. You know, you could create passive income while you're working. I already had a job. I didn't want to fix and flip homes. I wanted to buy some apartments. I wanted to deal with tenants and I wanted to get that cash flow coming in every month. And back in 2009, this is a long time ago, I met Jake through the restaurant. He was a pharmaceutical rep and I was getting, doing his caterings for his uh, doctor's offices. So he'd come in all dressed up. He'd have his little list with him and he'd, you know, actually have his, have all his orders done. I'm like, I like this guy. I like the way he operates. He's serious. He's a sales guy. I said, you know, Jake, I'm looking to invest some multifamily. And he's like, you know what? Let's look here. So in New York, there was just no deals out there. There was no cash flow. And I said, you know, let's keep looking. In 2011, he comes to me and he says, I'm moving to Knoxville, Tennessee. And i be honest with you, I didn't even know where Knoxville was. Never even heard of Knoxville, Tennessee back then. But I said, let me whip out the computer. We'll look at LoopNet. We looked at LoopNet and I'm like looking at these deals and like they're making sense. I'm like, wow, this is a good market. Now, I didn't know anything about market cycles. I really didn't know anything about the market rents. I didn't know anything about per unit costs. But I said, you know what? Let's take a deeper dive continue my education. Jake moves down in 2011 and it took us 18 months to find that first deal. And for us, just a lot of trials and tribulations. Y'all ain't going to do business down here, not having the credibility, not having enough capital. It took us a long time. We didn't have the framework, the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right framework. And we didn't know who to target, the mom and pop owners that we're targeting right now. So for us, that first deal was exciting, was exhausting. And the meanwhile, before we got that first deal, Jake Wife's moves down there. They go end up going buying a house. So he uses some of his seed capital. So, but for me, I had been coaching. I knew what my why was. My why was in the beginning, not even to leave the restaurant, just to get a little additional capital every month to be able to save for my kids' college and for my kids' weddings. That was my goal initially, which was, you know, thinking small, but at least thinking about goals that I could actually achieve and then continuing to move up that ladder and continue to set bigger and bigger goals for myself. No, and that's awesome. It's a really powerful story to just see where you were looking for an alternative way to to build wealth. And like you said, save mm-hmm. for college for your kids and different things. And And I think I don't even... No, if it's been mentioned yet already, but I, I understand you have a big family. Is there, there six kids total? There are, right? yes. And my oldest one is 20 years old. And she's a junior. And this is a transformation of, of, of my story, right? I was brought up in, you know, I would say in maybe middle, upper middle class income home. Uh, my Both parents were, were immigrants from Italy. And I was just taught to save. And 30, 40 years ago, that was a good mantra. It was a good model. Saving. Let's save. Let's save. The problem is, you know, middle class, we save for an event. That's the problem. And I was saving for an event and I had six different events going on. And if you put, you know, weddings, that's 11 events. 
And it was exhausting. It was inefficient. I didn't have control. So I said to myself, how about I start buying some assets and let those assets pay for my events? And it dawned upon me when I read the book, Killing Sacred Cows from Garrett Gunderson, that's what he was talking about. I finally had the vindication saying that 401k does stink. There are so many cons to it. Let me start buying assets. And that's what 2013 was for me, that first asset, that 25-unit little crappy property that we bought for $600,000 is now today refied out. We're making about five to $6,000 a month positive cash flow just from that one property. That one property alone is going to put all of my kids through college from that one property. It's appreciating value. We've already cost segregated. I've already got the cost savings out. I've got my initial investment out. Plus, I've been able to refinance all the money out and that's going to continue to print money every month. And for me, if I had been, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I'd have a savings account. The problem with saving is when that savings is depleted, there's nothing left. The problem with the asset, you still have the asset and it's still continuing to, you know, pro- provide cash flow for you every month. So it was, it was ultimately through the education. You mentioned that book that you read. I actually haven't even heard of that, Killing Sacred Cows. Yes. Is that something that was kind of in, influential in changing your mindset and realizing you know, you have to leave the restaurant industry or not leave fully, but look for assets that can actually start building you wealth. So talk about that book and how it kind of transformed your mindset. Marcus, that's a great question. For me, I've had so many books that have transformed my mindset. And I think the number one thing that everyone has to realize is you're not going to change unless you're ready to change. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate problem with everyone. You know, you can bring a person to water, you can't make them drink. I was at the water I wasn't drinking the water. That's the problem. Back in 08, I had a really big pain point. I had my pandemic back in 2008, the Great Recession, where all of a sudden the restaurant was making less money. I didn't have what you know Garrett Gunderson calls in the book, my sole purpose. I wasn't doing what I love to do. It just became monotonous. I wasn't being challenged anymore. I was being, I was bored, to be honest with you. And I didn't see a future. I didn't have hope. So I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm stuck. And that's when I went out to seek you know, education because we know in Jake and Gino, education times action equals results. I was taking massive action, right? I bought a mobile home park. I bought a strip center. The problem is I didn't have any education. You need to couple both of them. And that's where I was lacking. And Garrett Gunderson was an amazing book talking about the abundance versus the scarcity mindset. That's the first thing that really threw me off. Wow, the pie is not finite. It's not a zero-sum game in real estate. It's actually infinite if you want to, right? When you're refining and rolling these deals. Also, when somebody sells a property, they can make a profit and you can buy it at a discount and you can make a profit on that property. That was really new to me. I was always thinking about the win-lose where that's not, it doesn't have to be that way in real estate. And there's so many other books. I mean, we can talk about The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. And that one was really, was a really transformational for, book for me because it was really about responsibility you know, what are you responsible for in life? You know, the fruit on the trees is all from the roots that you have in the soil. And the roots are all those actions that you take all the time you spend working on yourself and working on your mind. And it's really important. They talk about the financial thermostat. What's your thermostat set at? If it's set at 72 degrees, it's going to stay at that, at that point. If you open the window and it's cold outside, the thermostat's going to drop, but it's going to get back up to 72 and vice versa. So, is your thermostat set to make $50,000 a year? Is it set to make $500,000 a year? Is it set to make $5 million a year? You can decide where your thermostat is set. And I didn't believe that until I believed it, until I, until I read the book and I'm like, that makes total sense. Why can that person be making millions of dollars during the Great Recession and everyone else is out of work? It's because that person's financial blueprint and in his mind, he knows that he can do it. 
Yeah. And when you talk about investing in your mind, and I use that word very specifically because you're investing in yourself, you're investing in your mind, you're bettering your mind mm-hmm. to actually have like a blueprint that you can actually follow and, and make the right decisions for building wealth. It doesn't just come like, oh, I'm going to build this huge portfolio overnight. It becomes like a, a long process, but you've got mm-hmm. to really strengthen your mind and, and think how you know these people that have built wealth before you they've laid a groundwork and, and have left clues or a blueprint on on what we can imitate or follow, see how they're thinking, see what types of assets they're buying, see how they're mm-hmm. applying an investment strategy. And there's so much we can learn from others that are already doing it. And that speaks to what you've already done and have created with your community where you're looking to educate people and help them. You've had a lot of success already and now you're looking behind you and helping others along the way to kind of catch up and learn what you've learned along the way. And it's mm-hmm. benefited you and all the others around you widely. You actually mentioned a quote there, really important. You mentioned education times action equals results. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that's a great quote. I I, I heard it. You talk about it on another podcast episode. I want you to talk about what that means because sometimes you see people on one end of the spectrum where they're all action, but they don't have the education. I think that's where you mentioned you were, you were taking a lot of action, but you didn't have the education, but there's other people that are all about education, but they won't take any action. So can you Talk specifically about what that quote and how you apply it. Uh, it's really funny when we started the podcast. Uh, you were were uh, talking and you were you know saying my name and you were overthinking it, right? And I think a lot of people out there overthink it. And I think one of the mantras of a successful entrepreneur, or a successful person, is they commit and then they figure it out. Because if you've never done real estate or if you've never done played baseball or anything, you don't know how to do it. You have to learn how to do it. I like Game of Thrones, right? And Game of Thrones is a quote where Jon Snow gets on a dragon and Daenerys tells him, you don't know how to ride a dragon until you ride a dragon, right? That's the bottom line. We don't know how to do things until we do things. And for me, it was really important to get that education. But at the same time, the accountability piece is what you need also. And that's why I love the community because you can take all the education by yourself. And I love doing podcasts with Jake. I have the podcast Movers and Shakers with my partner, Josh. I have one with my wife. I love to do it because it holds me accountable that I need to do these shows every week. I need to get educated every week. And I love accountability partners. I love mastermind groups. I love that energy that you ha- you're working with others towards a goal and they're holding you accountable to what you need to do. So the education is great. The action is great. But with that action, you really have to know what you're doing because you can lose a lot of money in this in this business. And why not go out and find people who've done what you're trying to do, what you're trying to emulate? It's so easy out there. There's so many people out there that are doing it. Find someone who's actually done it before. And for us, we're vertically integrated, which means we buy our properties, we manage our own properties, we finance our own properties, and we can teach on all three aspects of it. And we're still active in the, in the business. And that's why if you're going to go find someone out there who's going to mentor you, who's going to teach you, just find out they have results. They're still doing it, which is important because this market is ever changing. And you need to know what's working in this market right now and then just follow that person and you know take the leap learn learn what they're doing yeah and you brought up an important point there accountability it's applicable to any business even in your personal life if you want to grow in Mm -hmm. say physical fitness and and get better health you're going to need to go to the gym and do your reps and get running and it's so easy to slide and not do those things and and you're like, oh, it's early in the morning. I'm tired. I don't want to get up out of bed and go to the gym. But if you have somebody, let's say a friend or a family member, that's like, hey, we're going to the gym together, or they're going to call you at 6.30 or 7 a.m. and say, hey, how's your workout going? That's going to motivate that person to get up, get out of bed and do their workouts. 
I found the same thing. You mentioned holding yourself accountable and you have multiple podcasts on a weekly basis. Yeah, you've got to be prepared and all that. I've kind of found the same thing, like just being prepared for guests and, and knowing who to talk to, a little bit about their background and, and having the right questions to ask. I've noticed that in the short period of time that I just started recording these episodes, it helps me grow and helps me ask the right questions and, and learn more at a deeper level. So I've, I've experienced that as well. I want to shift a little bit to partnerships. Mm-hmm. That's really how like the core of your business is built off of strong partnerships. And you did solely like pretty much joint venture projects for a large amount of your first number of projects. So obviously you work with a great partner in Jake. Can you talk about the importance of partnerships and working with the right partners in real estate? Sure. I'm going to, I'll answer that right now. But before that, there's one more thing with the accountability piece. Everyone out there is more willing to do things for other people than they are for themselves. (laughs) That's the bottom line. Like I'd rather get something done for my partner than, you know what I got to do for myself. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you don't find, if you can't find that motivation to do something and like, for instance, me getting on this podcast, I have a team the Jake and Gino team, my employees, my community that is counting on me to pull this through, let's say. I can leverage that in my mind by saying, I can't let them down. So if you can't do it for yourself, use others in getting yourself in state or whatever to hold yourself accountable. That's what I do daily. I'm trying to get better at all these skill sets that I need to do to move the needle for our community. And that's what's pushing me. So that's really important. And as far as partnerships, multifamily is a team sport. If you have, can, don't realize that, there's two things about multifamily. If there's nothing else you learn in this podcast, it's a team sport and it is a business. It's scalable. It's not just about tenants and toilets and trash. It's about building a scalable model. That's why you want to get into real estate. I had one restaurant for 25 years. I've got 1,600 apartment units in five or six years. It's all about scalability. It's all about economies of scale. And for me, I found the right partner. I mean, basically... We didn't have core values when we first started out. We have our core values now, but our core values, what we, what we created, you know, people first, growth mindset, unwavering ethics, extreme ownership, make it happen. Jake and I, at a certain level, we resonated together on a certain level. We also wanted the same goals. We didn't want to fix and flip. I didn't want Bitcoin. I, I wanted to stay in my lane of multifamily and learn it. We knew it was an excellent vehicle for us. So partners have to have the same goals. And you know what? During time, you may grow out of those goals. Your partner may want to get a goal a lot bigger. You may want to stay a lot smaller. You have to convey and continue to communicate. And once the partnership doesn't work anymore, it's okay. You have operating agreements. You can break that relationship off and continue. But to have that accountability piece and have that partner, if you can find one, it is awesome because what you can do is you're able to scale. We have something that we call multifaceted multifamily where we have that first investment of 25 units. Then from there, we've created a a property management company, which is another layer of revenue through multifamily, right? And then from there, the education company, which is another layer of revenue from the investments. And from there, we've created a syndication company, which we can raise capital and have asset management fees and acquisition fees. And from there, we've created a capital company, which we're doing mortgages. But from our first deal, uh, the partnership was amazing because I was able to take that first deal down. We had owner finance deals, a 25 unit deal is 10% owner finance. It was me, Jake, and my brother, Mark. Our second deal, we brought in a fourth partner. Uh, we, we had bought 36 units. Six months after that, we were uh, approached and we purchased this 136-unit deal. It was a $4 million deal. We didn't raise any capital. We, that third partner that we brought on to that second deal, he had a very strong balance sheet. He actually lent us some money for the down payment. 
we bought that deal with him and continuing on to our first thousand units, we had just, it was just me, Jake, and my partner, Mike, the three of us continuing to buy assets. We we're able to refi over $9 million from those thousand units and continue to buy the next deal and buy the next deal and buy the next deal. And I loved it. I loved buying stuff internally. I loved the control, but I had the limiting mindset of, I'm not ready to take investors. I don't want to syndicate. And maybe, I don't want to say maybe, I probably should have started syndication sooner. We bought our first syndication back in November of 2018. I just wasn't ready mentally. And I said, you know what? I like to buy these deals internally. We don't have our systems in place yet. We don't have the proper property management protocols in yet to start raising capital from, from investors. And plus, I've got 300 people on an investor database. I don't have time to call every single investor up. So what did we do? We created Ram Partners back in like July of 2018. We hired somebody on. We brought in a fourth partner for the syndication company. And we said, here, here are all these investors. Let's start calling them up because it's another business. Raising capital and dealing with investors is another business because it's really time consuming. You have to have a customer journey, a customer for experience with those investors. You have to get them engaged. You have to learn about what their goals are. You have to create substantive relationships. So it's a time process. So starting to get into that, we started to get into that. And it's been exciting because we've been able to do very well for our investors. And like I said, it's another source of revenue. Just a tool in the toolbox. Syndication is one tool in the toolbox. Partnership is another tool in the toolbox. Owner financing is another tool in the toolbox. And like I said, multifamily lends really well to scaling a business and to creating those partnerships. Yeah, I love how you described it as all those different facets, like whether it be partnerships, syndications, they're all just tools and they go into your mm -hmm. toolbox and you can apply mm -hmm. them at the right time, the right place, the right period in the market cycle. I don't know where I learned that, but I, I remember referencing that for a couple of years now, like kind of looking at it of like developing skills, whether it be analytical skills or communication skills, and just always looking at it from that perspective of like, mm -hmm. you know, if you develop a communication skill, or let's just say that particular skill, you don't know when you might be able to use it. But when you face with a, a problem where you're going to need pull out your problem solving skills that you developed in college, or mm -hmm. back when you were a kid, or, you know, all these different things add to you as a person that make you more able to deal with particular problems, just like a plumber going to a job site. And, you know, if he doesn't have the right tool for that particular job, he's not going to be able to get the job done. It's just like uh, this journey in multifamily, like you're going to have to build up that metaphorical toolkit to be able to solve all these different problems that you're faced with. So and Marcus, the amazing thing about that though is, sorry to interrupt you, but real no quick, the amazing thing about that is if you don't have that skill set, you can hire the skill set. If you don't have any ego or any blind spots and say someone else is better at doing it than I am, maybe that's not my sole purpose. Maybe that's not my passion. Maybe that's not my strength. And calling investors a year and a half ago was not my strength. Can I do it now? Absolutely. I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at sales right now because selling is not what I thought it was. Selling is selling is just giving somebody an opportunity, finding impact with somebody else. So learning that skill set, it's great. I can utilize it. I can do it. But if you can hire somebody else or you can partner with somebody else who can do that better than you and they like doing it better, that's what partnerships is all about. I love the education aspect of it. Jake loves the property management aspect of it. Our head of investor relations, Mike Taravella, loves the syndication aspect of it. If you can find people that help you out and work with you, you're, all ships are rising. Yeah, because it's and it's not even that not one person wouldn't be able to kind of fit themselves and, sh and shape shift and do everything mm -hmm. within the syndication model or multifamily investing. It's just that it's, it is a team sport because there's so many roles involved, so much time mm. and effort into each individual task. Even if you try to do every single one on your own, you're probably going to stumble. There's going to be somebody that either enjoys that aspect of it better than, 
or is it better than you at it? Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important to find where you, you know, are most motivated and where your skill set lies and, and focus on that avenue. But also, like you said, develop the skills in other areas. Like you just said, you, you, you develop sales skills that you didn't think you had before, but now, okay, you realize you can do them and you like them. It's not that say that you're focusing it all the time in your business. It's a tool that you can use when it's applicable. Right. So I've heard you talk about how your blue collar roots and your work ethic really made you and developed you into the person that allowed you to be successful in real estate. Can you talk about how that hard work and that work ethic that you developed helped you push through the roadblocks and the challenges that you faced as you started journeying through this real estate investment uh, process? Well, it's amazing. I've been reflecting upon this for about the last year or so. And one of my students, this is another benefit of having a community. Students give me so much education. I learn more from them than they learn from me. And I've been getting so many book recommendations. And one was a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. To me, it just laid everything out for me. I mean, basically, you either have a fixed mindset or you have a growth mindset. And for me, I had a growth mindset because I didn't mind learning new stuff. I, I didn't mind being challenged and that work ethic and working hard. I mean, like when we raise our kids, we don't want to tell our kids, oh, you're so smart. You're doing a great job. Not really, because when they become adults, if they come across a challenge and they can't do it the first or second time, they're like, well, you know what? I'm too smart. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pass over that. So having that fixed mindset, you're being judgmental and you're not able to grow. Having the growth mindset is really powerful because when you have a growth mindset, you're like, you want to say to your kids, you know, Marcus, you came in third place. You wanted to come in first place, but you came in third. The growth mindset says you need to work harder. Do you want to work harder? We don't want to diminish that person who came in first place because they worked hard to get there. If you want to get into first place, you can, but you need to work hard and you know, keep talking about working hard. And that's what the restaurant allowed me to do. It's it's hard work, right? I know everyone says you need to work smart. You need, of course, obviously, you need to work smart. But if you're not working hard, you're not going to accomplish your goals. And for me, it was ingrained 12 hour days, working on the weekends, working holidays. I mean, it was, it was hard for me to do that, but I just, it just became part of my DNA and I, I didn't think twice about it. So coupling that with the growth mindset of committing, figuring it out, not knowing everything, removing your ego, trying to have no judgment and everything will allow you to grow as a person because you're going to be able to take on more tasks. You're not going to be worrying about failing because the word failure really doesn't, it's not in your vocabulary because all you're going to do is failure is just an outcome. And if you didn't get what you achieved and you have the vision, all you're doing is you're just changing your path. And I can give you an example. Uh, about a year ago, we wanted to do live events uh, to, to start promoting live events and start selling education. The first one didn't go well. Our, our marketing stunk. The second one, we only got 50 people there. Uh, we sold a few things, a few uh, education packages, but it wasn't a raving success. The third one, we started pivoting. We, it was just, it, the, the model was changing. All of a sudden, people are being more averse to like all these two-day events where you're not really learning anything. Three months later, COVID hits and everything shuts down. So our vision is to actually do it. We're going to have to put it off for six months. We're going to have to learn to become better marketers. But we've learned a lot. We've learned that maybe that's not our strength. We're much stronger at selling on the phone. So we've learned a lot throughout that entire process. It's not a failure. The failure is not trying and not getting feedback and not learning from the process. That's what the ultimate failure is. We had problems. And what were those opportunities? Well, the opportunity is we're great at selling on the phone. We've, we've actually worked on our sales process on the phone, and that's become much stronger. Yeah. And you, you brought up an important point there about, you know, failure and not looking at it as failure, but looking at it as growth and having that growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset, which is an example that's coming into my mind right now is 
Um, I've heard Rod Cleef on his podcast talk a few times about someone in his mastermind. I can't remember her name, but she's the CEO or the founder of Spanx, the company Spanx. Once again, I don't oh, yes. know a whole, a whole bunch about the company. Um, I know mm-hmm. it's big and I, I believe she was on Shark Tank for a little while, but he said what he learned from her is that growing up, she she said that her parents used to ask her siblings, basically, what did you fail at today, right? On a regular basis, they would ask that at the dinner mm-hmm. table. And um, yeah, it basically kind of shifts your mindset to think about, oh, if I'm not failing, then I'm probably not trying something that's, that's right. a little bit out of my reach or I'm not really growing, right? And, and school typically trains you not to fail, right? If you get an mm-hmm. F on your, your your report card, you did bad and you're, you're a bad kid <laughs> and you're not smart enough, they tell you. But I mean, if you're going out and really trying something, you know, say going to the gym and you're lifting weights, like if you just lift the same 25 pound weight over and over and over again, and you don't go until failure, you're not really going to get stronger until you take that heavier weight and then you lift it until you can't lift it anymore. That's when you're actually growing your muscles and, and mm-hmm. essentially failing in the ability to lift it anymore, but you're getting stronger as a person. So I know we kind of mentioned it already, but you, you mentioned like the different facets of, of uh, real estate investing and, and roles within an organization. But I mean, even within, within real estate on a higher level, like you can look at different investment strategies from multifamily, you can look at retail, you can look at commercial, and then even invest investing in a larger scale, you can look at all these different flashy items, you know, Bitcoin, anything that kind of comes up as like exciting. Can you talk about the importance of just staying in your lane, staying focused on a specific investment strategy that you use multifamily and how you didn't get that shiny object syndrome of getting distracted from other particular strategies that are coming out there. So I'd like you to kind of share about that. Sure. That's a difficult thing for a lot of people who are super successful. They don't have the focus and the determination. First thing, you need clarity on what you want, right? Most of us focus on what we don't want. When I ask somebody, hey, Marcus, what do you want? Marcus might come back and say, you know what? I don't want to work on the weekends. I don't want to be at this job. I don't want to, but I'm not asking what you don't want. You have to focus first on what you do want, right? You need clarity on that more than more than anything. Then why are you doing it? Because multifamily, like any other venture, is going to be hard. So when you're, you know, when you're up against it and you can't, you know, have those two-day trainings, uh, weekends, it fails. Well, you better have a strong enough why of why you're doing it. And then that'll help you figure out what the how. And for us, we just love the vehicle. I mean, we can go into demographics. There's 150 million baby boomers and millennials in the US. And guess what? They're renting. I mean, for all various reasons. Uh, home ownership is at a 50-year low. We love the vehicle of multifamily. The fact that there's cost segregation, there's so many tax benefits with, with multifamily. The fact that it's a basic human need. We always say food, clothing, and apartments are the three basic human needs. And it's amazing. We love the space. And for us, we've been able to focus on it. And from there, you know, you start focusing on the asset. You start focusing on that. You want to become really good because what we do as multifamily investors when we start out, <clears throat> the framework to get into your first deal is, is pretty simple. But most people can't follow it because, like you said, it's a shiny object syndrome. You need to select the market. That's the first thing. Where are you going to invest? You need to narrow that down into one or two markets when you're first starting out because if you have the shiny object syndrome is I want to be in Atlanta, I want to be in Nashville, 
Nashville. I want to be in Gainesville. Well, how are you going to create relationships with brokers and how are you going to actually know the market at a granular level, whether it's median income, whether it's crime stats, whether it's expenses to run the property. So it's just like that when you're focusing on the shiny object, you need to focus when you're first starting out multifamily to select that market. That's the first thing you need to do. And then from there, start getting that broker flow, start analyzing the market itself. And then after that, start going on property tours, start building rapport with the brokers start putting letters of intent in. And while you're doing all this, if you're going to be syndicating properties, it's not the deal or the money. You need the money before the deal. You need the, the substantive relationships when you're first starting out syndicating. So you need to tell people what to do, what you're doing, right? That I am investing in real estate. So let people know, start searching for the money and start searching for the deal at the same time. Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. It's, it's just that focus and having that mindset of just driving directly towards that one particular strategy and real estate. It's not like, like you, you mentioned, it is scalable, but it's not mm -hmm. going to be like, I, I like real estate. I'm going to start tomorrow and I'm going to have 1500 units tomorrow. It's, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of education, a lot of time, a lot of relationships to be built. So it takes a lot of focus. Something that's coming to my mind is I can't remember where I got this from or who, who had said this, but remember the hearing the acronym for focus is follow one course until success. So it's basically just having that mindset of like, okay, I'm in this multifamily journey for good. I know that people have been successful before me. I've seen Gino do it. I've seen Jake do it. I've seen numerous other people build wealth in real estate, specifically multifamily. So let's just look at those core strategies that they're using. And if we keep applying them and don't give up and get distracted from other things, we're going to have eventual success, right? So that, that's a very important thing that you highlighted there. So you kind of talked about like the scalability of multifamily, which I, I totally love as well. You talked about that 25 unit deal and that's kind of a, a little bit of a sm smaller deal. And you've, I've heard you talk about thinking big, but starting small. Mm -hmm. So talk about how that then transitioned into or opened the floodgates for numerous other deals and how you started scaling up into larger properties and how maybe you can highlight a specific deal in the in the wake of that first deal that you completed that you know maybe was a bit bigger or you got in soon after that first deal I can make an analogy it's almost like giving a child who's 15 or 16 years old the keys to a car and tell them go drive the car they have no idea what to do right they can't even conceptualize how to drive the car and I think it's the same thing when you're investing in real estate. Most people can't conceptualize buying a 100-unit apartment complex on their first deal. They just can't. They may be able to. The vast majority can't even conceive of what that's like. So if you're telling people out there, go big, go as big as possible, that, that really doesn't serve a person. We, we bought a 16-unit property back in 2016. We paid 37000 a unit. 16 units is very small, not a big property for us. We sold it for 103000 a unit. I mean, that's $60,000 a door times 16 units. That's over $700,000 in profit. Is that a bad payday for a small 16-unit property? If we listened to the gurus, we never would have bought that deal, right? It's really, and it has to fit your business model. So for us, the 25-unit property was proof of concept. We got into the deal. We actually proved to our model, hey, the three pillars of, 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 uh, of real estate, we'll, we'll get into the market cycle, debt, and exit strategy, but the three-step framework of the buy right manager and finance, right? It actually works, right? 25 units works. And, and if you can, you know, when you're out and buying a product, if you can convince yourself that it works, guess what? That next one is right down the corner. And that's what happened. Three months after that first deal, all of a sudden the broker comes knocking 
He's like, I got another deal for you. I'm like, wow, it took us 18 months to get this first deal. Three months later, we're getting a 36 unit now from a 25 to a 36. Pretty good, right? We get the deal. Three months after that, that broker has a listing on LoopNet that he says, I think you guys got to look at this. It's 136 units, $4 million deal. That's a big stretch going from 25 units to 36 units to 136 units. But right now we had proved our model with having the 60 units. We had been self-managing those properties. We had been taking our lumps. We had resident managers we didn't like. We were learning how to do property turns properly. We were learning how to manage these assets because Jake was property managing full-time. This 136-unit property allowed us to actually get full-time maintenance guys on, on deck. We hired a full-time property manager also with this deal. So for us, if we had started out with 136 units, 80% occupied, having to turn 40 units, that would have been a disaster in the very beginning. So for us, we felt comfortable starting something smaller, something manageable, because that first deal when if you know I was at Murphy's Law, if something's going to go wrong, it will go wrong. We had we got sued for bed bugs. It was it was a tenant's you know furniture, and he was suing us. We had a, 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 one of the residents pass away in the unit. We had a septic field go. We were done. We had cash month, weekly renters. It was a nightmare. And if we had 100 units of that on the first one, it would have been a total disaster. But having 25 units, it was manageable. We worked through the units. We didn't get any cash flow for the first few months. We put the money back into the deal. But I think thinking big and starting small, and I think ultimately falling in love with your actions, not the results, is, is, one, is what is going to make everybody successful in this business. Because you need to underwrite a lot of deals. You need to call a lot of brokers. You need to do a lot of property tours. You need to look at a lot of deals. And if you don't like doing that, but you're thinking, I'm going to buy a deal, don't worry about getting the deal. Worry about falling in love with those actions that you need to take to get to that deal. No, that's an important point because it, it takes the the actions to actually generate mm. the results in the end. It's not going to be like, yep. oh, you talk to one broker, you look at one deal and you buy it. It's mm -hmm. going to be, you know, you talk to probably a handful of brokers, build relationships and, mm -hmm. and be in touch with them. Look at a handful of deals that they send you and find the one that fits your criteria and your right market and, and all those different things. But if you're doing those things repeatedly, like it's pretty soon you're going to stumble across one that's like, oh, this is a great deal. This is the one I want to buy. And yep. you've already been in the process of taking those actions of communicating with potential investors and sharing with what you're doing. Then, okay, now you actually have the capital in place to close on it. And, and like you said, once you did that first one, it kind of started a ripple effect of the brokers now sending you another deal. Because like essentially he's you haven't done a deal yet. He's not going to take you as seriously because he's like, oh, can this guy close? Can Gino mm -hmm. close? I don't know. I, he's, he's never done this before. But okay, you go through, you close on the deal. And he's like, oh, wow, well, he is a closer. Let's let's say I'm another deal. I want to get paid again, right? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And inevitably, those words that you use that I hear most often by students that I love to hear, if they stick in the game long enough, the deal fell in my lap. Nothing falls in your lap. All that hard work you take, all those phone calls you make, all those emails that you send out, and those texts, inevitably, a deal will fall in your lap. Totally. So... You then continued scaling. You took on 136 unit property you mentioned and, mm -hmm. and even taking down bigger deals now. So you eventually transitioned to syndications. You'd mentioned you were kind of hesitant at the at the beginning to take on you know, a handful of, of investors because you didn't feel like you were ready yet. You wanted to prove out the model. Can you talk about what kind of motivated you or made you feel ready to go into syndications and then how that journey, kind of that transition went from strictly partnerships into syndication? 
So for us at 650 units, I remember the shift. All of a sudden at 650 units, we, I, we hired a regional manager really to help Jake with the portfolio. And that's when we actually onboarded Appfolio. We actually got real property management software, which was like enlightening to us. We were using a crappy product. We started out with QuickBooks in the beginning. Then after 200 units, we transitioned into something called RentPost. We were being the cheap guys. Biggest mistake ever. Go on to Buildium, go on to Appfolio, go on to a different software that actually has property management software that has the solutions all internally. So at 650 units, all of a sudden I see, wow, this is business building. This is systems. We're able to scale up. And for me, it felt more comfortable to syndicate, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, business is all about people, systems, and culture. We had the people, we were hiring the people, we were implementing the systems. And that last piece of culture that I just talked about before was coming into fruition. We were starting to, to, to scale up and we actually hired scaling up coaches to actually help us with it because all the brands are sort of different, but they work in such a really nice symbiotic relationship that if an investor wants to learn the education, hey, come on our education platform. If an education student wants to become an LP investor with us, hey, learn while you earn. So that that's what made me a little bit more, more comfortable. And plus the, the fact that we had the credibility, we had a sizable portfolio, our pro, proven process of buy right, manage right, finance right was, was firing on all cylinders. I felt a lot more comfortable taking it on. And, and ultimately, I saw a lot of other people syndicating deals. I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. But I didn't go in it, you know, half blind. I actually got on what you're doing, Marcus. I got on and I interviewed and podcasted a lot of them. I learned their processes. I spent time with them on the phone afterwards. I read books on syndication. I hired a greatest syndication attorney. And then we talked about it internally. We said, hey, you know what? Think big, start small. That first syndication was only a $6 million deal. It was 132 units. Great. If we couldn't raise the money for it, if something happened, we could have still bought it internally. So I, you know, I practice what I preach. Let's start small. Let's be able to take it down and let's learn from that first mistake. Because on the first syndication, you're always going to make mistakes. You're always going to make errors. You don't have enough time. Your webinar, your webinar took too long. That email went out. It was broken. And, you know, all, all the things. So for us, it, it was a comfortable raise. It was $2.6 million raise. We were able to actually raise it in 48 hours because we had the list. We had the proven, proven processes. And that's why it took me a little bit longer to syndicate. But I felt comfortable at that point doing it. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's a great transition. And it sounds like it was smooth. And, and you just realized, yes, multifamily is a business. And you, mm -hmm. you, you always treated it like a business, but you realized there was more juice in it, putting syndications into your toolbox. And, and that's allowed you to grow. Mm -hmm. So you and Jake together have a pretty amazing book, Wheelbarrow Profits, where you talk about buy right, finance right, and manage right. I know you've kind of brought that point up or those points up a few times. I want you to share a little bit about what those mean and to share a little bit about that book if my listeners haven't heard about it already. Sure. Um, for us, what we teach really now is, the, is we teach the three pillars of real estate. One of my coaches you know, brought it to us and, and it makes so much sense. So everyone out there, this should be for the residential space also. The three pillars for me is the market cycle, the debt, and the exit strategy. <clears throat> Every time someone brings you a deal, do you know it's a deal? I'm not sure. Let's look at it from those three facets. You need to know what kind of deals you're buying. Right now in the market cycle, it went from a it went from a seller's market cycle to a buyer's market cycle like that. So what do I mean by that? Well, syndications right now are going to be a little difficult because you need 12 months of principal, interest, taxes, and insurance as reserves. So guess what? Guess what came back into fashion? Owner financing, community banks. So if you don't know what part of the market cycle you're in, you don't know what strategy to utilize, it's going to be a little bit difficult, right? Uh, for the exit strategy, what are you doing with these deals? I mean, with our deals, when we're buying them internally, we can buy and hold them forever. We love that, right? But if you're doing a syndication, 
Are you having a three-year hold? Are you having a five-year hold? Are you going to have a longer term hold? You need to know what your exit strategy is. Are you going to refinance the deal? Are you going to sell the deal? And the debt component, obviously, like we just mentioned, are you going to do long-term fixed rate financing? Um, are you going to do short-term bridge? Are you going to refi it out? Those three components need to be looked at all at the same time. And I think that's part of the buy-right process. The buy-right process, you have to set a parameter for yourself. When we first started back in 2013, the eight caps were the rage. 10% cash on cash return, 1.4 debt coverage ratios. Now, obviously, in the last five or six years, things have changed, things have compressed. I don't know where we're going in the future, but we're looking at seven caps, six to seven caps in Knoxville for C properties, right? I think 10% cash on cash is going to come back. You just need to set your parameters and try to go with where the market is. And obviously, my favorite thing is two things are coming back. If it don't cash flow, let the grass grow. That's coming back. Cash flow is coming back, right? And also, you know, really, really important, you have to figure out what your parameters are. You have to figure out what you're looking to buy. That's really important. The manager right portion, you know, we have the three-step framework. You need to, you know, choose a management company. This I could speak on hours on managing, but the manager right portion is important because it's the wheel of the wheelbarrow. It's in constant motion. We have our management team out there and to be able to raise that NOI by either increasing income or decreasing expenses, the manager right portion is really important. And the finance right parameters, when we started out, we were buying deals on community bank financing. It was recourse debt, but you know what? It was hard for us to qualify for agency financing. So what do we do? We went from community financing, had the experience, think big, start small. Those small deals where we were able to refinance into agency and to continue down the road. So those three elements, once you've got the buy right done and you've bought a deal properly and you financed it properly, those two are done. All you're left with is the manager right portion. And that was an awesome summary of all those points. And they're all critical to running a successful mm -hmm. multifamily acquisition and managing it. So I'm glad you highlighted all those. I wanted to sneak those points in right at the end of the episode. Oh, here. we could, Marcus, we could speak about hours about all those processes because it really is. You need a framework to start, right? Because when you're starting out, it seems so daunting. But if you can break it down, it's not rocket science. If you can break down each element and then within those elements, there's so many different facets of it. But you really need to understand that you need to buy these things properly. And people have been overpaying the last couple of years, like we were talking about British Columbia. They're not buying right. And it's probably going to your mind going, wow, these guys, sooner or later, they're, they're, they're violating one of the three principles. And if they're not financing them right, buying, buying cash only is hard because you're buying cash only, there's no leverage. And the problem is when the market drops, that equity drops, you've lost value in those properties. That's part of the problem. And managing it, if you're not putting tenants in and letting the tenants pay you, you're going to have big problems. Totally, totally agree. So before we wrap up this conversation, I want to take it to our final four questions where you give short to the point answers. I know we've talked about a few books already today. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? If you're starting out and you have not read many books, I think Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich is probably one of the books that everybody should read. All of the gurus out there steal from Napoleon Hill, whether it's Tony Robbins, whether it's Zig Ziglar. I don't want to use the word steal, but they adopt and, and take a lot, of, a lot of his thoughts. I mean, he was an amazing writer, and a lot of what he wrote back in the 20s and 30s is so, so obvious to him back then, but it's really, you know, the principles are there throughout, and I think everyone should read that book. I mean, there's so many books out there. I'm reading more on sales books and neuroscience and trying to connect with others and building rapport with brokers. So a uh, book that I just finished reading a little while ago is Pitch Anything from Oren Claff. That was an amazing book. Awesome book on how to actually create a pitch and create value to others. Robert Cialdini's got some awesome books out there, Influence and Persuasion, Talking to Others. These are important books because as a multifamily investor, you need to be the salesperson. You need to you know, tell the broker 
why they have to sell the property to you. So it's important that you learn those skills of sales and to try to actually persuade or persuade that person to try to get you the deal. There you go. You highlighted some fantastic books there. I, I, I knew you couldn't keep it to one. <laughs> uh, I, I, the list goes on and on. Because oh, when, yeah. when you're not a smart person, you need to read. That's the yeah. problem. You need to fill your mind with a lot of stuff. Hey, you're you know? a smart person. Don't give yourself credit. But yeah, I want to pause on that for a moment. Or in class, yes, I heard your episode recently. Fantastic episode. Pitch Anything is great. And his new one, Flip the Script, is, is fantastic as well. Mm. So anybody that's raising capital... Those are great, great books or pitching or selling. It's, it's important. Those books are great. So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? Well, I got started back in 2002. Um, I bought a fourplex in New York. So it was a long time ago. The one thing that I really irked me was over fixing a property. It was a fourplex. I call it, I built the Great Wall of China there, rock walls. I put in nice fixtures, nice appliances great countertops. I spent too much on the landscaping. It was a rental property. I wasn't living there. So I wasn't looking at it as an investment. That's the problem. I wasn't looking at it as ROI. Biggest mistake for any investor because you're not living there. You're trying to generate a return from there. I wasn't, I was actually violating all the principles. I didn't have the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right. I didn't have those principles back then. So my mindset of shifting from the landlord to the investor was was my biggest mistake when I first started out. All right. And what is a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? For me now, it's going through what we're going now. It's just having gratitude, being thankful. And for me, it's been a guiding principle the last few years of trying to create as much value for others and not asking for anything. And the more value you can create for others, the more solutions, more problems that you can solve the more money you're going to make. One restaurant's not bad. 1,600 apartment units, you're going to make a lot more money because you're solving a lot more problems. That's the bottom line. And just like having six kids, you don't start off with six kids. You start off with one and then you have another. And then you have another and you get better at it and you get better at it. So don't be overwhelmed by the number of units. You start somewhere, but just tell yourself it's all it is. At the end of the day, you're just adding zeros and you're growing, you're, you're growing like I said, the people, systems, and culture. You need to grow that aspect of the business to help you get further down the road. No, that's fantastic. So when you're not busy with your business, doing all the things you're doing with your podcast and, and, and growing your portfolio, what do you look to do for fun? We have a golf cart. So it is a street legal golf cart down here in Florida. So I'm on the beach. I live 300 feet from the beach. So I love going to the beach. I love fishing. I love swimming. I love hanging out with the kids. That's, that's what my focus is right now. Just spending time with the family. There you go. And, and your big family uh, to note, you know, six kids. Mm-hmm. I can't, can't imagine. Well, actually I can. I, I shouldn't say that. I have six siblings myself. I'm one of six boys and I have one sister. So, uh, dude, that's all. Isn't it awesome, dude? It is awesome. great. Right? It's awesome. I always wondered uh, in growing up in like elementary school, I'm like, what does, <laughs> what do these people with one only child, what do they do at home? Like, I, <laughs> what do you do? Um, I, I would, I would, I would always have somebody to play with, right? Whether yes. it's sports or something. And yeah, and I just couldn't imagine growing up with less siblings, but uh, that's awesome. So, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Real easy. Uh, just go to jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee. Here's the book right here. If you go on there, you can download a copy of our credibility book. You know, one of those business plans where you can actually take a look at ours, copy it and start utilizing it for yourself. The honeybee also, that honeybee page also has some audios on it. It has some videos uh, about the honeybee and some, some, some of the big, big 
takeaways from the book itself. And on that page, you'll also see our podcast where you can opt into our podcast. And my email is gino at jakeandgino.com if you want to reach out and ask me anything. Yeah, no, I'm glad you shared about that, uh, your book, Honeybee. I, I wanted to ask you about that, but I didn't get to it. I'm glad that you got to plug that in there and, and let our listeners know about it. But I do definitely want to check that book out as well. So glad you got to, to share that today. So, Gino, it was a pleasure, man. It was, it was awesome having you on the show and you sharing all your wisdom in, in real estate. Really appreciate your time and uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for having uh, Jake and Gino on and just for sharing part of the day with us. I appreciate it. Thank no you. Problem. Take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.